0: told the guys, don't need to put that on the recording, not on the podcast. Uh, we had a great night last night at our five o'clock service, and uh, we saw three individuals indicate salvation, um, and so yeah, that's awesome, um, and so we had a, there's a, the had a big dinner for friends and family, and uh, they even let me come, which was kind of nice, I appreciate that, so a bunch of those people who were there for the dinner came for, for the service. And, um, yeah, it's just really neat. I mean, that's what we're here for, right? That's what we're doing, what we do. It's why we exist uh, on this earth and why we exist in Northwest Ohio to, to see people come to Christ. So that, that was awesome. Well, you've ever uh, had somebody make a promise and then not keep it? Anybody ever have that experience in your life? Oh, man, a lot of you. I'm sorry. Wow, there's a lot of you. So, like, so let's say somebody makes a promise to you. How long do you give them before to fulfill that promise? Like, they make a promise, and a day goes by, two days go by, a month go by. At what point are you like, okay, this promise is not going to be fulfilled? Now, what if that person was God? What if God made a promise, and it was taking thousands of years for that promise to to be fulfilled. See, that's the, that's the situation that Zacharias and Elizabeth we talked about last week, and we'll talk a little bit about today. Uh, Mary and Joseph, really, all of Israel is in that God had made them promises as the nation of Israel, actually to our, to a world in general too. That that God was promising over and over and over again that He was going to free Israel from oppression from their enemies, that he was going to bring freedom from sin and the consequences of sin for all people. In fact, God, when he was talking about this individual who would come, he he says that he's going to be one like Moses. And if you're familiar with Moses, he's the one who led Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He was going to be called Messiah. He's going to be Savior. He's going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. But no one ever came. Israel was still oppressed. And then, 400 years after the last time God promised this, an angel, Gabriel, we talked about this last week, shows up, and he says, now is the time for the promise to be fulfilled. So no wonder they're shocked, because God was going to fulfill the promise in their time? Through these people? I mean, imagine if God were to come to you and say, hey, i got a." huge, big old mission for you. You'd be like, well, why me? But what Israel got was someone who was not very impressive. It was not who they expected. In fact, he was so not impressive that they ended up putting him on the cross. And it makes sense because here's a guy who was born to an unmarried teenager. He was from a no-name town of about 400 people. It was in the armpit of the region of northern Israel that nobody wanted to go to. No one wanted to be around these people from the people in Israel didn't really want to be around them. He had no military training. All he wanted to do is talk about God. How is this guy going to free them from the Roman oppressors? Israel was not impressed, and maybe this morning you're sitting here, you're not that impressed. So. Look at Luke chapter 1, you can turn there, it's page 10, uh, 1018 if you're using the Bible there in the seats. And we want to look at this and see why we should be impressed with who Jesus Christ is and with what he's come to do. It's His promise is a, a huge promise, it's greater than Israel or we, you know, really deserve. So we're going to pick it up where we left off last week, we're going to cover a lot more verses, but I'm not going to read them all. So I'll summarize some of this for you this morning. And it says this, now in the sixth month, now this would be the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth, if you were not here last week, is uh, Mary's much older cousin. And they were going to have a, a child and Gabriel told them about this. The angel Gabriel was sent from the, from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. And again, this is northern Israel. Nobody liked it. They even called it Galilee of the Gentiles. And if you know anything about uh, Jewish history. The Jews didn't really care for non-Jews, and they didn't really want to have anything to do with non-Jews. And this area, region of Israel was filled with Gentiles. Came to a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now Mary is probably about 15 years old. Girls back then got married about 13 or 14, 15 years old. Now I just want to say something. Um, won't get into a whole lot of detail here, but there's nothing in the Bible that indicates that Mary was perfect. I know there some Christian denominations that would teach that Mary was perfect, but there's no indication of that in the Bible. In fact, we're going to read a verse. There's other verses in the verses that we're covering today that we won't read, where it makes clear that she even thought that she wasn't perfect. We're going to read one of those verses this morning. And then also that Joseph, um, that he was not an old, older man who already had children. That Mary and Joseph, God gave Mary Jesus, and then after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had more children. Um, again, just I want to go with what Scripture teaches, and not what other people might think. So, anyways, in coming in, he said to her, "Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you." But she was perplexed, just confused by this, and this uh, at this statement, and kept pondering. She kept thinking about the implications of this, of what kind of salutation this was. In other words, why is there an angel standing here? telling me that somehow I'm, I'm favored by God. She, one, well, she didn't think much of herself, and she was in a situation where, you know, she was humble, which is probably a good thing. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Now, Jesus is a Greek trans, uh, transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua. They just literally rewrote it into Greek, which means God is Savior, which is pretty cool. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now this is a promise that God made to David a thousand years earlier than this. All right, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And another way of saying nation of Israel. And his kingdom will have no end. It's going to be eternal. It's going to be everlasting. Mary said to the angel, How can this, uh, how can this be since I am a virgin? Now she's not doubting here. Last week, Zacharias doubted because, and we can tell by his answer, but also the fact that, yeah, they were they were older, and technically, you know, typically older people uh, don't have children, but it doesn't mean that they can't have. And in times past, people have who are older have had children. But Mary was going to have a child, having not been with a man. I don't know if you know that. That that's how I won't get into it. But it's humanly impossible for a woman just to have a child. Something else has to happen. So the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, so if you want proof that this is true, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren or infertile, is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God, which is an awesome promise. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so Mary's going to have a child by the power of God. And you talk about impressive. I mean, who cares who his mother is? Who cares what kind of training he has? Who cares where he's coming from? This child is going to be called Jesus. God is Savior. Now again, not, a, not an uncommon name. There's a lot of Joshua's. We read about Joshua's in the Bible. So not an uncommon name. But what he's going to do is uncommon. This is unique. This is special. This, no one else has ever done this. It says he will be great and call the Son of the Most High. God will give him the throne of his father David. So God had made a promise. A thousand years earlier, saying, David, one of your descendants, is going to reign on your throne, and he's going to do so forever. He'll reign over the house of Jacob, be king of Israel. His kingdom will have no end. It'll be eternal. So what's Gabriel saying when he says this? He's saying that the baby is God. And it's not just he's not just going to change Israel's situation, circumstance. He's going to change the entire world's spiritual situation. He's going to impact Israel's physical situation, but he's going to impact the world's spiritual situation. Israel, the promises he's made to Israel about this future kingdom is going to happen. There's going to be a physical fulfillment of this kingdom that he's promised. And again, it's not just going to be on this earth. It's something that has to do with eternity. and We'll talk about that in a bit. Now, why is that important to us? Well, because as you study out the Bible and get into the New Testament, what happens for Israel, we who are not Jewish, those of us who place our faith in Jesus Christ, we get to be a part of that. That fulfillment to Israel, we get to be a part of both the, the physical kingdom as well as this eternal kingdom, which again we call heaven. Now, why is that important? Because when we die there's only two places that we could end up. Both are for eternity. Both are everlasting. They go on and on and on. One is hell. Hell is a place reserved for Satan, but also for those who never receive from God. They've rejected God's offer of forgiveness. And so because of that, they have to pay for their sin against God, and that payment, sadly to say, is an eternity in hell. Those who accept God's offer of forgiveness, those who trust Him and believe that we get to go to heaven, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done and allowing God to forgive us, and it's God through Jesus who makes heaven possible. Again, we call it heaven. Some people call it the kingdom, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of Christ. But we're also we're all talking about what happens to us after we die. So we'll talk more about that in a bit. For now, with the promise from Gabriel and the realization, oh man, Elizabeth is actually pregnant. This is awesome. It tells us, the Bible tells us that Mary takes this long trek. We've got a map of it here. She's up there in Nazareth, and Elizabeth's down here just outside of Jerusalem, up in the hill countries of, of Judah, it says. And that's at least a 75-mile hike. It, it could be longer. Some people believe it could be as long as 100 Miles, and so she takes this trip down to Judah, and when she arrives, it tells us that Elizabeth, who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, she says, "Mary, the mother of my Lord." She recognizes that Mary is carrying God's son. In fact, she even said that the baby inside of her, John, we'll find out this is his name later. Um, spoiler alert. He he actually jumped inside. He kind of kicked and and it was. She said it was a, a leapt in joy, as she put it. And so, with Elizabeth's pregnancy confirming to Mary that wow, this really is God's son that I'm carrying, she has this to say. And Mary said, "My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit and her whole being, it being has rejoiced in God." my Savior. Now, this remember I was saying there's a verse, there's several verses, but the one we're going to look at, here's one of those verses where Mary recognized that she was, sin, she was sinful, that she was she needed to have forgiveness. Why? Because she said, God, my Savior. If she was perfect, she wouldn't need a Savior, but she needs a Savior because she's not perfect. All right, for he has had uh, regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed because of her being involved with bringing Jesus into the world. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Now, again, for those who don't know, when you see these capital words he's not or letters, he's not yelling at us. Uh, he's going, referring back, or she's referring back to uh, the Old Testament, so referring back to Psalm 103. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of the heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, again going back to Psalms, and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So this is a, a promise that goes all the way back to Abraham that God is going to be fulfilling. And so we see here, because of her humble um, condition, who, who as she views herself, she's a poor teenage girl. She's saying, I, you know, I'm not much, but man, generations will bless me. They'll, they'll praise God and praise her for, for being a part of what God was doing. She's saying, hey, God's done some great and mighty things for Israel Through the centuries, but now, (laughs) the greatest thing He's doing, this is awesome, that He is, through me, going to bring His Messiah, His Savior. A a, a promise from 2,000 years previous to that, God was going to fulfill. Again, God's timing is not our timing. God takes time from our perspective, but He always fulfills his promises. So it tells us that Mary stayed with uh, Elizabeth for uh, about three months, and sure enough, as it usually is, you know, like if Kim were to leave the hospital today, Sarah would probably give birth, right? So Mary leaves, and uh, sure enough, Elizabeth gives birth. And uh, so eight days later, after he, after he's born, eight days later, they do a circumcision. That's when they name the child. And so everybody is thinking, well, they're going to name him Zacharias after his dad, but Mary, or, uh, Elizabeth's no, His name is to be John. So they're like, what's going on? So they look over at Zacharias, and they're like, is that right? And he's like, so obviously he can't speak, right? So he grabs a tablet, he writes down, his name is to be John. And guess what happens as soon as he writes that down? He gets his voice back, right? Because Gabriel said, hey, when all this transpires and John is born, you'll get your voice back. So he gets his voice back. And here's what he has to say. He gives this incredible praise of God, but also in doing so, tells us what Jesus is going to do and what John is going to do. So, as, uh, And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is from God. This is uh, truth. And prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited, which is a cool word. It means to look after or care for. So he has visited us and accomplished redemption. He's freed us from oppression for his people, and has raised up a horn, or a person who has the power and authority of salvation or deliverance, for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. Again, going out of Psalm 106. To show mercy toward our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath. And this means he's, he's confirming what he said. It's true. Again, referencing his promise, which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him, serve God, without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, speaking to John, or about John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. This comes from Malachi 3, which is 400 years before Jesus showed up. To give to his people the knowledge, and this word in the Greek means to have a personal experience. And so through going to personally experience what salvation is. And how are we saved? How do we have the salvation? By the forgiveness of their sins. Why? Well, it's not because of anything we do, but because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise, speaking of Jesus, from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. That's spiritual darkness and spiritual death. We talked about it last year uh, out of John, referring back to Isaiah 700 years before Jesus, to guide our feet into the way of peace, how we can have peace with God. So uh, Zechariah says a lot in here, right? And some some of you guys are just a little bit glassy-eyed right now, and you're thinking, man, if I could just get another cup of coffee, I might be able to make it through this. So what I want to do is I want to just focus in on three things that he said here, kind of the key things that he's talking about here. And so he talks about God has visited us. He says that he's accomplished redemption and raised up a horn of salvation. So what's he talking about? And, and how is it important, or why is it important to us? Now notice, each of these words are in the past tense. We're going to do some grammar this morning. I know some of you guys aren't really big, big into grammar, but we're going to do some grammar. He's talk, He uses words in the past tense, but he's talking about Jesus, who hasn't come yet. So why does he say, God will visit us? God will accomplish. Why does he not use those? Why does he say this past tense? Well, I'll explain to you as we go along. So the first thing, you go to the next slide. Oh, yes, right. Sorry, I jumped ahead of myself. So again, 700 years before Jesus shows up. We understand from this verse what he means by visiting us, right? So here's what he says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This looks familiar, right? Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, And Emmanuel means God with us. And so, God with us. Let's put it together here. He visited. What Zacharias is saying is that God is going to personally be with us, to care for us, to look after us. And again, this isn't new. 700 years before this, God said this was going to happen. And now Jesus was going to be on the scene. So God visited us. God came to look after us, to care for us, which is an awesome thing to think about, that the God who created this world, this universe, who created you and me, he's going to come personally in the flesh to care for us, to to look after us. That's why his name would be Emmanuel, that God will be with us. And he uses the, the past tense visited. In, in the Greek, it's called the aorist tense. And what, what the people back then did, those who spoke and wrote in Greek, when they wanted to let somebody know that this is as certain as if it's already happened, they used the past tense. And so what he's saying here is this, that God visited us, that Jesus, who isn't born yet, it's so certain that he is God, it's as if he's already been born and done the things that God was going to do. That God has already taken care of us, that God has already looked after us. It's just a, a way of confirming and saying that this is certainly going to happen. And we know it did happen because it happened 2,000 years ago. And we have the history of that. So Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He came to look after and care for us. In fact, Matthew uses Quotes well, Isaiah 7.14 in Matthew chapter 1. So what does Zacharias say he's confident God will do through Jesus? So now stick with me here. I've got to break things, these things down. Hopefully it, it makes more sense. So he's confident that when he takes care of us, what he's going to be doing in his taking care of us is that he's going to accomplish redemption and he's going to raise up a horn of salvation. Redemption means freedom from oppression Salvation means rescue or or to be delivered from danger. Both of these are the eras tense, so it's as certain as if it's already happened. That's what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to bring freedom, and he's going to bring deliverance. From what? Well, there's two aspects to this. There's a physical aspect that he talked about. Remember, he talked about the enemies and and the kingdom but then there's also the spiritual aspect of it. He talked about forgiveness of sins. And so there's going to be freedom and there's going to be deliverance having to do with a spiritual issue and having to do with some physical things. So the spiritual freedom, this needs to happen first. This is kind of the key that unlocks the door for the physical to happen. And so this, is the, this happens first. This happened when Jesus came the first time. We all know the story. Jesus lived a life, died on the cross, rose again, went back to heaven. And so the first time he came, again, Zacharias doesn't know this. We know this because we've gone through the rest of the New Testament. So he accomplished this on his first coming. He lived a perfect life. Uh, He dies on the cross. He didn't die on the cross for his sin. He died on the cross for our sin. He was perfect. He's God. And then once God takes care of our spiritual situation, then that opens up the fulfillment of the physical freedom and deliverance. This will happen at Jesus' second coming. Jesus Christ said he'll come again. It's still future. He hasn't come back yet. Which I'll explain here in a second. So like Israel waited 2,000 plus years for Jesus to come the first time, we're waiting 2,000 plus years for him to come back a second time. So what are we uh, spiritually freed from or delivered from? Well, we're spiritually freed and delivered from our sin. The Bible tells us that all have sinned. We've all disobeyed God. We've all done what God said don't do. Or we haven't done what God says to do. And because of that, when we come to the end of our lives, if that sin isn't dealt with by God, then we, we deal with it and we are judged by God in a, the eternal place that the Bible talks about, that's hell. But God, the Son, Emmanuel, put on flesh and came among us to look after us and care for us. He came to earth. He dies on the cross to take our judgment for our sin. Again, he never sinned. When we trust that, when we say, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, then God says, well, then I can forgive you of your sins. I take your sins and I put them on Jesus. That's what he says in, in verse 77, if you want to reread that. So Jesus frees us from sin's control in our life, So as we go through life, once God forgives us of our sins, the Bible tells us that God the Holy Spirit is placed in us. And God the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to, to teach us as we read God's Word, to teach us what God wants in our lives, and to empower us to do life God's way. We don't continue doing life our way. We look to Him to help us to do life His way. We become more like Christ in that way. We don't become God, we don't become Jesus, but we are to look more like Him. And then Jesus delivers us. From sin's consequences. So that when we die, we don't enter hell. We get to be in God's presence. We get to be in his kingdom. We get to be in heaven. So what's the physical freedom and deliverance from? What's he talking about there? Now this has to do more with Israel and what's going to happen with Israel. But as I mentioned before, we get to be a part of it. But these are promises that God has made to Israel. There's going to be a physical freedom and deliverance from Israel's enemies. Now If you know anything about history, at what time in Israel's history have they ever been free from their enemies? None. Never. They've always had enemies. They've always had people attacking them. They've always had people coming after them. They have people attacking them today. They're in one war, potentially two or three more on their borders coming their way. So this hasn't happened yet. This is something that's going to happen in the future. Now, you guys ready for some Revelation stuff? The book of Revelation? Some people just love the book of Revelation. They have no clue what it means, but they love reading it for whatever reason. It's so scary. Well, you know. Well, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. And when you get to the end of Revelation, this is where all of this comes back to. And you can read it for yourself. You have the seven-year tribulation period. Uh, during that time, Israel's being attacked by the Antichrist and all that kind of stuff. Jesus Christ returns for the second time. Returns to earth. And he wipes out all of, of the people who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. He judges them. The only ones left then are Jewish people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and maybe some Gentiles who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It says that, at that moment, Jesus sets up his earthly kingdom. It's a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, the millennial kingdom. The only people going into that are Jewish people who have placed their faith in Christ and maybe in the Gentiles who maybe be there still who have placed their faith in Christ. Those are the only people who go into that kingdom. That's God fulfilling the promise that he made to Abraham that... Israel, that Abraham and Israel, his descendants, would have land. They would have this reign. And there's no enemies because they're all, they've all been judged. So for a thousand years, there's this physical uh, fulfillment of God's plan. Again, still future in our, in our time. During that thousand years, it says that God binds Satan. He keeps Satan from influencing and messing around. And so these individuals who move into this kingdom, they start having children for a thousand years. They have children who have children who have children who have children. Each of those children, they have to make a decision whether they're going to trust that Jesus Christ is their Savior and Lord. He's going to be in Jerusalem reigning. You know, so it's kind of weird that they wouldn't. But at the end of a thousand years, they join up with Satan who has been released by God, by Christ, and they join up and rebel against Jesus. Jesus. At that moment, the Bible tells that he wipes them out. He wipes out this world, and he wipes out the universe that he's created. Revelation 21 and 22, there's a new heaven, new universe, and a new earth that all those who have placed their faith in Christ, Jews, non-Jews, from all of time will then spend eternity in Christ's kingdom. The everlasting kingdom, heaven. Again, just another name for heaven. Now, we're going to talk more about this next week, but Zacharias ends this by saying that John is going to be telling people that there is a guide to peace with God. Now, we know that guide is Jesus Christ. And it's through Jesus Christ that we can have peace with God. And we'll talk more about that next week. So make sure you come back, invite friends to come back. As we wrap things up, from our perspective, uh, God seems to take a long time answering or fulfilling his promises. He's, it took him you know, 4,000 years, 2,000 years, 700 years, 400 years. Now we've got this 2,000-plus-year promise that he's put out there, that Jesus Christ is going to come back, and people might be going, well, yeah, really? I mean, is he really going to fulfill his promise that Jesus Christ? I mean, that sounds whacked out. That sounds crazy. Really? And maybe some of you here this morning are kind of like, yeah, I'm not really sure. Well, I can only give you his response, which he gave to through Peter to us, and he says this, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, and by that he means die and go to hell, but for all to come to repentance, for all people to turn to God for the freedom and deliverance that he's offering. Why has God been waiting 2,000 plus years to send Jesus Christ back, to fulfill all these promises that he He gave? It's because there are still people, maybe some even in this room, who have yet to turn to God, to allow God to free them, to allow God to deliver them from their sin, from its control, from its eternal consequences. And if you do that, if you allow him to forgive you, if you ask him to do that, like I said before, the Bible talks about the fact that God the Holy Spirit is then given to us, and he's our guarantee. He's the one who empowers us, gives us strength, gives us the ability to do life the way God wants us to do it. And then when we die, he's the one who guarantees that we're going to spend eternity with him. And so we look at our takeaways today. Uh, And again, if this is your first time with us, we we do takeaways. We try to bring all this down. Um, And this is when some people actually wake up because, oh, we're the takeaways. All right, good. So the first one is this. Some of you may need to make this your takeaway, that you need to accept God's offer to free and deliver you from sin and hell. The fact that Jesus is your Savior He's the one that you need to put your trust in. He'll save you from your sin. And you ask God to forgive you of your sins. And God tells us that when we trust him, when we can trust what he says, we can believe his promise that if you say, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, please forgive me my sins. We can trust that promise that immediately our sins will be forgiven. That he is our savior, but then he's also our Lord. And what that means is that from that point forward, our entire um, eternity has changed. From that moment forward, the time we spend on this earth is changed. We're no longer living for ourselves. We live for God. That's why Zechariah was talking about serving Him. We serve God. We do what God wants us to do. And then when we die, we spend eternity with Him. And so I just want to challenge you here who may not have that confidence that you have that relationship, that you've had your sins forgiven, just take a moment right here, right now, just in your own heart, in your own mind, have a conversation with God, and just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm separated from you. I know that I would end up in hell without you. Please forgive me of my sin. I believe Jesus died for my sin. Thank you for forgiving me. If you do that, God will forgive you of your sin. And he will be the one who takes care of you, who looks after you on this earth, and then takes you to heaven one day. And if you make that decision, I'd love to know about it. And what, how you could do that is, if you're real bold, uh, but I'm not sure why people have to be bold to come talk to me, but whatever. Um, someone said last night, wow, you're so smart. I'm like, <laughs> you really don't know me. But anyways, um, Come up and tell me afterwards in the lobby. Just let me know, hey, I prayed, I accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And we got some information that will help you understand what you did there. If you don't want to do that, then just write your name on a Connect card and then flip it over and decide I trusted in Christ today, and, and that way I can at least pray for you. If you want me to send you some information, put your contact information, and I can send that to you. Well, if you made that decision this morning just now or if you've made a decision sometime in the past... Here's what our responsibility is. Here's our takeaway. We need to bring this message to people in our lives. John was born to prepare the way for Jesus, to go ahead of Jesus with this message. Jesus then commanded us to do the same. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. And the easiest way to do that is as you're leaving, grab several, uh, you've been gifted cards and or invitations, little invite cards to our Christmas services. And this is easy because you invite some people, they come with you, you sit in the service, I tell them about who Jesus is, then you take them out for lunch, or out for dinner if you're here on Saturday night, and just have a conversation with them. Hey, what do you think of the service? We don't, don't worry about the pastor, we don't need to know about him, but what do you think of the, of the service, and what do you think about the message? And, and just get the conversation rolling. If it goes anywhere, great. If it doesn't, that's great too. But just get the conversation rolling. It's the easiest way to share the gospel with people, to let me start it, and then you carry it on. Our goal is and our hope is that we pack out our three services, and we have a carol sing on Sunday night. Um, But those three services, Saturday and two on Sunday, we want to be able to pack our auditorium out, see people come to Christ and experience what God has for them. Let's go ahead and stand, and we'll close in prayer.